Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 609 of the Juicebox Podcast. On today's episode of the Juicebox Podcast, we'll be speaking with Lacey. She is an adult with type 1 diabetes who has a very different diagnosis story. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. I'm not going to ruin the episode for you, but Lacey was involved in a trial as a child that identified her as having antibodies for type 1 diabetes. So she had five years to get ready for her diagnosis. Her story is terrific. She's Canadian, so you know she's super nice. All you got to do now is settle in, get your earphones just right, get them where you like them, and let the story unfold. If you'd like a simple and easy way to support people with type 1 diabetes and support the Juicebox podcast, take the survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. It'll take you less than 10 minutes. It's completely HIPAA compliant, absolutely anonymous, and it will actually help people. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod Promise. Learn more at omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And a little later in the show, I'll tell you all about the Dash and the Promise. The podcast is also sponsored by Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. You can start today at dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Get the CGM that my daughter's been wearing since she was uh, really little. I probably should figure out exactly how long she's had it, but I mean, she was tiny. So I mean, 10 years at least, probably more. I don't know. I'd have to look. Anyway, that thing's great. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. My name's Lacey. I live in Ontario, Canada, and I have had diabetes for 20 years. You know, See, now I see. We just had 20 minutes worth of technical problems that you put up with nicely. I couldn't understand why you're being so kind. You're Canadian. <laughs> and now you're blaming it on the fact that I'm Canadian? I'm not blaming it. I'm saying that's a nice <laughs> thing, right? I love a country that only stabs each other. No shooting. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't be uh, too quick to jump on that. I used to live in Toronto. Plenty of people got shot in Toronto. You know, it's funny. when I If I joke like that, somebody who's ever been there... And I only say there now because I'm super aware of a person who was on recently who said they lived in Toronto. And now I want to say it like T-R-N-T-O. Yeah. Uh, people tend to remove letters from Toronto. I usually say Toronto, but a lot of people say Toronto or Toronto or something like that. It's just Toronto. We're lazy. We're was, lazy with our syllables. I loved it. I was like, Toronto, <laughs> damn right. I live in New Jersey. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't even know how to take words out of New Jersey or letters out of New Jersey. Okay. So you were, how old are you now? I am 31. So you're diagnosed when you're 11. Yes. And you basically lived on the rim of the earth, just right <laughs> out the edge. So probably no health care, just a walrus took care of you or something like that. How did it go? Uh, no, actually, I um, I had quite a robust health care system nearby me. Mm. Um, and actually, 
this was kind of what I wanted to come on here about because my diagnosis story didn't actually start when I was diagnosed. It started when my brother was diagnosed. I know. I'm excited. And I, and thank you for saying about, so that was really great. Um, you said about just now, and it was so Canadian. And now I'm just all warm inside and I'm ready to go. <laughs> so, I didn't realize that we said it any differently than you guys did. Oh, no. I always hear the jokes about people saying a boot, but I didn't think it was that cl- like no, bad. You didn't boot, you about. <laughs> Like you just, kind oh, of, okay. yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. It's probably from years and years of running from grizzly bears. I would think it's probably changed your voice boxes. Um, because all the, I mean, yeah, just for down. the extra oxygen that needs to get in for running from, you know, deadly predators. That makes more sense. Yeah. At least you don't have snakes. You don't have snakes, do you? <laughs> Nothing that'll kill you. No. Yeah. That's how I measure snakes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> some people measure them in meters. I measure them. And if you're going to stiffen up and die after they bite you, uh, no, our snakes are nice. Canada, land of nice snakes. <laughs> How so? Your brother has type one as well. Is he older or younger than you? He is two years older than me. So he was diagnosed when he was eight and I was six. Interesting. And how did you just always? Like, did your family just always assume you were going to get type one, or what do you like? You're no. So back, um, this was pre-trial net days, but when my brother was diagnosed. Um, my dad is also type one. And uh, when they saw, okay, father's type one, first child is type one, there was a study going on in England. And my brother's endocrinologist really wanted to send my blood as part of that study. So they hooked me up to an IV for, I think, most of a day. They were drawing intravenous blood samples every two hours. I had to have a shunt in my arm for pretty much most of the day. And uh, they did all these tests and sent it off to England and it came back and they're like, yeah, give her five years. She'll have it. The British. Seriously. They're always such a yeah. downer. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've tried to find what the study was. I can't find it, but I also might just not be very good at Googling. Um, well, that's and, amazing yeah. though. So 20 years ago, I mean, it's sort of a no brainer, right? Your dad has it. Your brother has it. They're like, if we're going to find out if this thing works or not, we'll definitely take Lacey's blood. Um, and I'm assuming like if you had a pet beaver, it would also have type one diabetes. It sounds like everyone in the house did. Um, my, my dad, my uncle, my brother, and I all have type one. Wow. Hey, is your mother, um, does your mother have any autoimmune issues? Her autoimmune issues didn't show up until she was well into like her 40s and 50s, and she ended up with hypothyroidism, which I also have, <laughs> and my dad also has. <laughs> I'm starting to think that people with autoimmune issues put out a signal that other people with autoimmune issues pick up, and uh, we don't realize it, but we're like like little beacons, maybe. Uh, wow, that's um, look at you, that's crazy. So your uncle, your brother, your father, yourself, yes. All have type one. Twenty years ago, before anything like trialnet exists, a doctor says, "Hey, I think if we get your kid's blood, how? Why did they have to take it the way they did?" I have no idea, to be honest. I just remember uh, being hooked up to this machine. I couldn't move around, and they kept bringing med students in to talk to us and asking these med students all these questions. And I remember my brother, the smartass that he is, sorry, cursing, sorry, um, answering all the questions before the med students could. <laughs> Because he understood type one better than they did. Well, yeah. And at that point, they were asking questions about, you know, our history, like our medical history, our family history, stuff like that. So he was just spouting off all the answers before they could get it out. 
it's interesting that um, as time passes and, and technology, even medical technology gets better and better. Like it sounds like they were basically like they tapped, like they wanted to get the blood right from your heart or something like that. Like it was just like, <laughs> and now they just take this little, it's, it's so yeah, much just easier. a finger poke. Yeah, I remember yeah. when I was a kid going to diabetes clinic, when they switched over from an IV blood draw to get your A1C to a finger poke to get your A1C and how excited I was. I bet you were. <laughs> I bet you were. <laughs> I know Arden gets the, um, when she does the A1C in the office, they do like, it's a pretty heavy poke. Like they do your thumb usually cause it's juicier and, mm-hmm. and, um, it's a pretty big drop of blood compared to like what her contour meter uses. And she's always like, wow, like even that seems like vicious to her. I would imagine having an IV put in just to get your A1C done. Like how much blood did they need back then to do your A1C? A lot, I guess. Oh, they took full vials. I remember I went to, um, it was called the pediatric medical day unit mm-hmm. in, uh, in London, Ontario, call out to the London health sciences center because those guys are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd bring you in for your appointment and they would take you in, do your blood draws and do your pee in a cup stuff. And then you'd wait right there while they did all the laboratory. And then you'd go in to talk to the doctor. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have to go for multiple appointments to get, you know, the chemistry done or anything like that. And it was it was actually pretty pretty a lot of blood. I remember at the beginning it was a lot of blood, and then slowly it became less about the blood and more about peeing in a cup. And then <laughs> they uh, they when they did the A one Cs, they had to almost like it wasn't a drop of blood on a thing. They had to like gouge your finger. Like they kept running this plastic thing over your finger and like milking it for blood to get a bunch out into this little thing, but they still just poked your finger. So it was better than an IV draw, but not by much. (laughs) My my wife just bought these kits on Amazon to figure out what your blood type was. She thought it would be fun. She's a very sciencey person. So she saw it online. She's like, look how interesting they are. And she bought a bunch and all the rest of us are like, we we don't care what our blood type is. (laughs) And it was a similar thing. Like you needed like a fair amount of blood, but it was from a finger stick. And we're all just sitting around this, we have this round table by our sofa. Like we're all just kind of around the table bleeding everywhere. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Uh, yeah, that was pretty much what it was like at, at clinic. <laughs> yeah. And now I forget what my blood type was. So that was a lot. <laughs> Definitely should have written it down. Uh, so how old are you when this happens? And they draw that blood and tell you you're definitely. I was six. And you didn't get it until you were. 11. 11. They said five years and it was five years almost on the dot. Wow. Okay. Did you live every day thinking you were going to get type one diabetes or do there? Absolutely. Really? Oh yeah. I I was convinced anytime I got sick, like if I had to go home from school because I wasn't feeling well, I would tell all my friends like, oh yeah, I'm probably going to come back with needles. (laughs) I got to go. I got to pick some diabetes up at the hospital. Yeah, pretty <laughs> uh, much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. So impactfully um, negative, positive? Uh, it, hard to say. I mean, because I was so like, I guess you could say prepared, like I knew this was going to happen. I had already kind of gone through whatever grief stages I needed to go through. Um before even getting my diagnosis. So when it came time for me to, you know, get my diagnosis and going into the hospital, um, we already had all the answers. So we just kind of give us the prescription for the insulin and send us home. Like we didn't really need, or shouldn't say need, we didn't really want to stay for any of the additional 
lessons or stuff. Cause I mean, my parents had already been through that with my brother. Yeah. I had already kind of gone through it just from watching my dad and my brother with all their stuff. Um, I remember on the day I got diagnosed, we actually had to fight with the ER doctor and just kept repeating, like call uh, this doctor who was my brother's endocrinologist at the time, call the doctor, tell him Lacey's diabetic, he'll come down. And the A doctor was like, there's no way you could know that. There's just, you guys are just, you know, overreacting. It's fine. It's like, call the doctor. They said, listen, he'll come five, down. <laughs> five years ago, we sent some blood to jolly old England. And I'm telling you right now, I have type one diabetes. Let's get this thing going. What was your symptom? Did you catch it super early? Super early. Yeah. So I never actually had the extreme thirst and frequent urination and all that that you hear about with a lot of people. Um, my family just made it a routine to test my blood sugar whenever I acted differently than normal. So if I was sick, I got a finger poke. If I had some sort of outburst, I got a finger poke. Um, we were at my grandmother's house and we were playing a board game. And apparently I jumped across the table and tried to strangle my brother. So after that, my grandmother was like, well, time to stick your finger. And I think I was... 17 at the time which is what to you guys 17 do you want to bring up the 300 uh, i've got the little the conversion chart on my desktop right now so you have the conversion chart that's available at juiceboxpodcast.com i i do i have the conversion chart available at juiceboxpodcast.com slash conversion lacy <laughs> good job very good job that was excellent um are you tapping something on the table or fidgeting with your hands oh sorry i was probably rocking in my chair that's okay stop doing that no i'm just kidding just please don't. <laughs> <laughs> so a light right now people listening are like how did he know that there's this light tapping in my ear and it's uh making me mental or mental <laughs> excuse me mental er um so tell me again you were what you're uh, I was 11 at this time, and I was 17 in millimoles, which is 306, 300. according to. And a little surly, apparently. <clears throat> and I was grumpy. I was very cranky. Yeah. And uh, so they got that test, and my grandmother called my dad, and he asked if I had any other symptoms. My grandmother's like, no. He's like, okay, well, when I get off work, we'll go to the ER. We went to the ER, but because I was still honeymooning, at that point, by the time we got to the ER, my blood sugar was back in normal range. I would imagine, yeah. Which is where the uh, the argument with the ER doctor started <laughs> because none of my a, tests. Yeah, perfect blood sugar. And they're just like, you don't know what you're out of your mind. These people are crazy. That's probably what yeah. they think. Um, yeah. How old was your father when he was diagnosed? He, this is an interesting story. So he was 16 when he was diagnosed with diabetes. However, because he was at the time working as someone with a professional driving license, they diagnosed him as type two, because back then, if you were diabetic with type one, you could not be a commercial driver of any sort. Mm. They would pull your license. So they diagnosed him as type two and put him on metformin. And obviously that didn't work like at all. Uh, but he stayed with that until he was, in his 30s when my brother was diagnosed and one of the nurses at the hospital that was one of my brother's nurses was like, you're being dumb. They won't pull your license anymore. Just switch it and get on insulin because you need this. Um, 16. What was he like flying the Canadian 
like space shuttle or what was he? Uh, what do you do when you're 16 that you need a driver's license for? He was driving a truck, like flower trucks, flower delivery trucks. Oh, cool. I thought he was running guns for the mob or something like that. <laughs> There's no. a Canadian mob. They just have French accents, right? <laughs> I mean, kind of. There's a lot of Hells Angels in Quebec. <laughs> well, that could be a great title for this episode. There's a lot of Hells Angels in Quebec. I might go with that. Um, it's a little long, but damn it. If it fits, it fits. So I, my whole reasoning for asking was your grandmother didn't have any um, like reference points. She didn't raise a type one. Uh, not so much. I mean, at that point, she'd been around my my dad and my uncle long enough that she was kind of used to that. And also she was borderline type two. So she had a meter at her house that that's what she used to test me. Do you find yourself wondering when Met Foreman was made originally? Because the way you said it, oh, it's introduced. The ability of Met Foreman to counter insulin resistance and address adult onset hyperglycemia without weight gain or increased risk of hypoglycemia gradually gathered credence in Europe. And after intense scrutiny, metformin was introduced in the U.S. in 95. This is interesting. Yeah, look at this. 60 years of metformin use at a glance. So then I wonder what they gave him when he was first diagnosed. No, it sounds like it's been around for a long time. It's this, uh, I have an article here. Uh, I have an article here. Um, put the date at the top of the people. Learn to use the internet. Anyway, this this article is titled 60 Years of Metformin Use. So I don't know when it was written because some people don't know how to set up their websites. But um, Well, my dad's not 60 yet, so then, yeah, he probably would have been put on that. He would have been inside of that time frame. Yeah. Yeah. European Association for the Study of Diabetes. Put a date on your articles, please. Um, so that's kind of amazing. I definitely didn't know that. I had no idea metformin had been around that long. Um, I, I knew it was an old drug. I just didn't realize it was that old. It gets used for so many different things nowadays, too. There are people using it in um, aging studies. Yeah, I've heard about this, that they're trying to use it off-label for quite a lot of things. And I don't know. They tried to give it to me at one point, And my uh, family history of metformin having very bad reactions where we get really bad burning muscles. Like almost anyone in my family who'd ever taken metformin has had terrible muscle burn. Yeah. So I, I did not want to try that. <laughs> no, not looking for that. I've seen it used off-label for weight loss. Um, there's this here, right here from the NIH, metformin is uh, also... Oh, wow. Metformin also retards aging in model organisms and reduces the incidence of aging-related diseases such as neurodegenerative disease, cancer in humans. The uh, Despite its widespread use, the mechanisms by which metformin exerts favorable effects on aging remain largely unknown. That's interesting. That's right from the NIH. That's the government. They, they wouldn't lie to us. No, not at all. I don't see why they would. Uh... <laughs> Do you, you have a government. It's not. Just, we do. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. That, it's that, not as crazy as yours, but yes, boy, we do have a government. That boy's way too pretty to be in charge of things. I think there's a lot of people that agree with you. He must get like, I would get distracted. I'd walk past. the mirror. <laughs> Seriously, I'd walk past the mirror and I'd be like, I am so damn handsome. And then I would just stand there for a couple of minutes and be like, <laughs> I really am. 
um, I recorded something for the people on the Facebook page and I put like a camera in front of me <laughs> and in the camera frame, I looked great. I thought it was good. I looked good in the mirror. I got the film back late, like, you know, the, the film, listen to me. I took it to the photo mat. I moved the card from one place to the computer and I and I opened it up and I was horrified when I saw myself. <laughs> oh, cameras are not kind, especially the digital ones now. Like webcams are they make you look like you're demonic. It's I, horrible. It's like, oh, I felt like I looked better, but definitely didn't. Anyway, I don't get to run Canada. Uh for a number of reasons. <laughs> one of them I'm not I'm not handsome enough. And two, I guess I'm not Canadian, which would probably really slow the process down. Okay, so I so I really want to, as best you can tell me, because you were young when it happened. Do you think it had a negative impact on your psyche, or or no? Do you think it was kind of nice to to know it was coming? Like I I, I want to understand that piece of it. Let's start with the basics. The Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor is a small, wearable sensor that sends your glucose numbers to a smart device or a receiver every five minutes. It's easy to wear, and it's easy to use. If you're using insulin, it's likely that you'll have fluctuations in your blood sugar, and knowing that they're coming is a big deal. Being able to see what direction and speed they're moving in is amazing. Receiving alerts when your blood sugar crosses over a number that you want to know about is revolutionary. My daughter's Dexcom G6 tells us if her blood sugar is over 120 or under 70. But with a swipe of my finger, I could change that number to 125, 130, 150. It's completely up to us. You change the thresholds that the Dexcom alerts you at. It's completely customizable. So think about this for a minute. Maybe you miss and don't quite count your carbs right, or you get low after some activity. Wouldn't you like to know as it's happening instead of after it's too late so that you can make some small adjustments to your insulin or to your carbohydrates to fix these problems before they become bigger? The Dexcom will help you with that and so much more. You can actually see your child's or your spouse's blood sugars on your cell phone, and not just you. The user can allow up to 10 followers to see their blood sugars and receive alerts and alarms. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Head over there now and get started today. You can see the speed, direction, and number of your blood sugar at a glance with the Dexcom G6. I open my phone, I press one button, open an app, and can tell you that my daughter's blood sugar is currently 142. It's that simple. Hey, are you looking for a new insulin pump or trying to switch from multiple daily injections or a pen? Maybe you should take the test drive, right? Maybe the Omnipod is right for you. So if you're ready to ditch the daily injections or send your pump packing, it's time to try the Omnipod tubeless, wireless, continuous insulin management system. Omnipod is a tubeless insulin pump, so there's nothing connected to you. you understand you wear the pod, but then there's no tubing that runs to a controller. There's a handheld device, sort of looks like a little cell phone, that you can run your Omnipod Dash with. Now, Omnipod Dash. Do you know it's possible that you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash? I mean, are you kidding me? A month? Check it out at omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Here's what you're getting. 
a tubeless insulin pump. The ability to wear your insulin pump while you shower, bathe, swim, run, jump, frolic, flip, turn, jump, whatever you do, you don't have to disconnect like you do with those tubed insulin pumps. The Omnipod has that kind of freedom, and it's important. And here's the last bit. Maybe you're worried. I don't want to start today with the Omnipod Dash, Scott, because what if Omnipod comes out with something new? I want to be eligible for that, but you are. Because with the Omnipod promise, you can upgrade to Omnipod's latest technologies for no additional cost as soon as they're available to you and covered by insurance. Terms and conditions apply, but you can find out everything you need to know at Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. My daughter has been wearing Omnipod and Dexcom forever, and they are an amazing tandem. When you're done listening today, check them out. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com. Um, I think possibly long term, it led to a bit more burnout than if I had just been kind of dropped in the middle of it. Um, short term, I didn't get the sudden like life changing news mm-hmm. kind of thing. I didn't get the trauma from that, but because I already knew so much and like the first time I held a needle was the first time I gave myself an injection. Like, there was no practice shots. They walked in with the doll as I was giving my injection for lunch, like the doll that they wanted me to practice on. And I was like, Nope, I got this. So <clears throat> there was a bit of, there was a bit of a perfectionist expectation, I guess I would say where it's, Oh, she's great. She's got this. And so I, don't think I really was given very much assistance or support because it was assumed that I had a handle on it. That's interesting. That's sort of like when you're a great student and then you get into a class you don't know, but nobody wants to help you because like Lacey always does great with this stuff. Like you just, people get, get to the point where they feel like, Oh, this is just, this works. We don't have to pay attention to it anymore. She understands. Yeah. And then add on to that, the fact that they also had my brother with type one and because he was more the traditional diagnosis story of, you know, got really skinny, had a long history of symptoms before they finally got him diagnosed, he kind of got this label as being a problem child with behavior issues when he was young, but it was because of his blood sugars. Like yeah. he was eight years old and getting into fights because his blood sugar was probably running at 300, 400 all the time. Right. I mean, and as we see from you, when you tried to make him eat a sorry piece, <laughs> like, I'm not sorry. And he just, jammed is that how it went? Let me, let me just imagine it. Um, I, I, in my mind, you have the yellow and the green piece. You've launched yourself across the coffee table. Your grandmother is yelling like, what's this all about? And then you're just, <laughs> and you're, you're like, I'm not sorry. He deserves it. You're, just, you're like, do you guys get the irony? These are the sorry, p- never mind. <laughs> Like you're making total sense, but acting like a lunatic. Uh, wow, that sucks, I guess. I don't know, yeah. though. I mean, I can't. I guess it's that like old game you play when you're a kid, when you're like, you know, if I could tell you the exact day and time you were going to die, would you want to know? Yeah, it's kind of like that, right? Like, if it's going to cause you to just worry about it all the time, then probably not. But if you could prepare for it, then that's better. But at the same time, because I had all the time to prepare there was an assumption that I didn't need as much support. Mm. So like 
I was 11, I, I handled my diabetes for the most part. At least I probably had a bit of help until I would say going into high school in grade nine. So I think I would have been 13 or 14. At that point, it was completely me. I didn't have parents telling me how much insulin to take. I didn't have, uh, you know, any sort of assistance with trying to figure things out. And I mean, at that point, when I first was diagnosed, I was taking three units of NPH total. That was it in a day. Um, slowly that developed into three shots, one of NPH and regular mixed, one of just regular and one of just NPH. And that was so that I didn't have to take any needles while I was at school. And then in high school, here's your Humalog, here's your Lantus, take what you need. How, and that was kind of it. How was the translation from regular and MPH to a faster acting meal insulin? Because there's a lot more to do there. They left that on yeah. you as well? We're, you know, let me go back for a second. Sometimes little girls come off very um, mature. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, they're almost like yep. little moms walking around and stuff like that at times. Like, did you have that vibe? Did you just, were your parents just like, oh, Lacey can handle it? Or Oh, 100%. Okay. 100%. I was between, you know, in my family, I was the logical, you know, responsible one. Mm-hmm. Like, I we used to get teased gently by my family because we'd be watching a movie and there'd be a sad scene and everyone in the room is crying except me. Because I'm just like, no, this logically, yes, this would happen, that would happen, that makes sense. And I was just like, you don't have a soul. (laughs) But uh, that kind of got applied to my diabetes as well, where it's just like, okay, well, you'll you'll get it. Like the doctors tell you what to take and and you'll get it. Mm -hmm. And I had this weird, uh, I had this weird dichotomy in my parents. My parents divorced when I was eight, so before my diagnosis. And my mom was very much a, if you do what the doctors tell you, you'll be fine. They're very smart. They've got it figured out. Just do what they tell you. And my dad, and actually most of my dad's side of the family, believe that if you go to a doctor and don't already know what the problem is and how to fix it, you're going to get screwed. (laughs) So combining those two, what I got was doctors are very smart. They're the most intelligent people. They don't have this figured out. Therefore, no one has it figured out. Therefore, it doesn't matter. Mm. Oh, I thought you were going to say that you decided that doctors are going to just screw me really in a great (laughs) way because they're super smart, but they're going to screw me over. So so you just felt like no one had an answer? I felt like no one had an answer. And I mean, back then, CGMs weren't really a thing. Um, Pumps. I remember going to a couple meetings about possibly getting a pump and then them telling me I would have to test my blood sugar more because of the pump. And that seemed to dissuade me. Hmm. Um, So I was never really put on a pump or anything like that when I was a kid. Um, So yeah, I just got into this headspace of there are no answers. No one has this figured out. Just do the best you can but don't really stress about it because why stress about something that no one has an answer to anyways. So does that make it feel like your life is more finite? It didn't actually. (laughs) It probably should have, but it didn't. You're like, there's where my common sense would have really come into play. But I want to stop on it for a second because I think it's interesting back then with, with the technology that existed, the insulin that existed, 
it really was more of a management situation. And by management, I mean, like, let's just keep this as, uh, you know, as, with as much at least volatility as possible, I guess. And we'll yeah. see how long we can keep these people alive. They'll put some insulin in, in the morning. Like, they didn't know faster insulin was going to come. They didn't know that, you know, like, there, that was a moment in time. Like, really, I, I say it every time somebody brings it up, but you would just shoot some insulin in the morning, eat on schedule, and then shoot some insulin at dinner, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And so that was just like, you're putting this baseline of nebulous insulin in you that's going to maybe, if you're lucky, hold your blood sugar down, but nobody's testing anyway. So you wouldn't really know if you were using enough or not, or if you were having foods that were so high glycemic, you know, index load, et cetera, that it wouldn't have mattered if you, the insulin wasn't in there with enough power. Like there was no nuance to it whatsoever. No, this the whole idea of like sugar surfing or meeting, you know, the need with the insulin, like there was none of that because no. you didn't have the data that you needed. Right. And I'm a very data-driven person. So for me, like testing three times a day, which was the recommendation at that point, um, not even every time you ate or every time you took insulin, just three times a day. Um, it's not enough. It's not enough. It so I was looking at it going, I I can't use this. What is this? Like, you want me to try and figure out what needs to change or what needs to happen, but I don't have enough information to make that call. Yeah. And even the doctors, like when I'd go in, they'd look at things and they're just like, well, I don't know. We'll try doing this and see you in three months. <laughs> but I was a kid. Like I was, I was changing so fast that that wasn't enough. So I, I got to a point where because the data that I was getting from the testing three times a day wasn't enough and it wasn't really doing any good. I just stopped testing. Mm. Yeah. Cause what was the point, right? What were you getting out of the number? Yeah. Why would I cause myself pain when I'm not really getting any useful information out of this? I'll just go by how I feel. If I feel crappy, I'll take a little bit more. If I, you know, think I need a bit more clarity on what my number is, I'll test. But like, I think I, I had strips going expired because of how infrequently I was testing. You just wouldn't bother. Well, yeah. I have to say that makes sense to me. It really does. I mean, I, I don't know how often I would do something like that if, if the information coming back wasn't helping. Um, so you said you got Humalog in your teens? Yeah, I think I was 13 or 14 when I went to high school. So essentially, my elementary school didn't want me bringing needles to school and didn't want me. No one at the school was, well, not that I needed them to inject me because I could inject myself, but no one really wanted to take responsibility for that. Mm -hmm. So I, we did the NNR while I was in elementary school, because it allowed us to do one in the morning before I went to school, and then the other two when I got home later on in the day. Okay. But for high school, it was less of an issue. There was a lot more autonomy, and my high school didn't have a problem with me bringing the needles to school, because it was e probably an easier way for them to manage. They didn't have to do anything about it, so they didn't really care. Yeah. Um, and I was already on an IEP, uh, which is, I guess, kind of like your guys's legal... Documents for art at 401k or whatever what it is. Um, for? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's your retirement plan. That's a retirement plan. <laughs> Why did I say that? Oh my God. <laughs> that's it. Podcast is 504. over. 504. That's I, what it's called. If I can't think of 504 plan off the top of my head, I'm in trouble. Um, no, uh, I, I, I get that vibe because that's one of the ways I got this, the, um, the school to just 
leave us alone was I said, like, look, you know, if, if she's texting me, you're out of this. Like, you haven't made any of these decisions. And they're staring at me. And I was like, to be more candid, let me be blunt. If she drops dead, it's my fault, not your fault. And they were like, oh, that we like. And then they were just like, yeah, sure, text her. Like, get us out of this. You could see how excited they were to be out of the process. Yeah. You know, so in elementary school, that worked out as, you know, just take the needles outside of school hours. And then when I got to high school, it was a combination of the school was okay with me bringing needles to school. I already had an individualized education plan for other things. So adding this to it wasn't that big a deal. Mm -hmm. And also there was a cafeteria at the school. So it gave me more flexibility to be able to like, cause I started getting lunch at the cafeteria. I love my mom. She hates cooking. So when she had to, she had the ability to just give me money and stop making lunches. She was like, great, here's 20 bucks. There's your lunch for the week. <laughs> I can't agree so, enough. I, I, the, making lunches, doing homework like when that stuff stops you're like oh thank god like it was yeah. just it feels like so much I, I don't know why just i hated that part of being a parent <laughs> I really yeah did. so she's like there's a cafeteria great here's 20 bucks lunch costs about i think it was at that time a fries a burger of some kind and a drink were three dollars so she's like you can spend three dollars a day on lunch and then you've got five dollars extra if you want to get treats like all right cool leave me out of this same, yeah pretty same much thing the, <laughs> same thing as the school with the care they're like listen let me just i want to step away quietly so so when this when this occurs this changeover occurs and you're older and now you're shooting at meal times um is that a big change like in in the way you think about diabetes no because it was still with the just testing, you know, a few times a day. So to me, it was just changing from three times to four times. It didn't really feel any, well, I guess five times if you include the nighttime one. Um, it didn't really feel any different to me. Okay. So I still wasn't really thinking of it as this can give you more control because there wasn't the data for the control. Mm -hmm. It was just this, this is the new regimen, you know, okay. you yeah. do at meal times and then whenever you eat something take this much it took forever for us to even get like carb counting or a sliding scale in place it was just kind of a very static this is how much you take at each meal kind of thing okay so regiment's the exact right word right it's just yeah do this then do that do this then do that now we're gonna do that a little more frequently and what was the out what were your outcomes like like, were you having A1C? Like, do you know? Oh, not great. Not great. Um, I remember when I was diagnosed, my A1C wasn't diabetic yet because they caught it so early. It was like 5.2 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then it slowly increased while I was on, in the pediatric endocrinology. I think my top out was 10 by the time I exited into the adult system. Um. Because there was just, it was just my body slowly giving up the ghost. Like it was just my pancreas slowly deteriorating until the point where there was no insulin helping out anymore from my body. Okay. And the control just was not there. Yeah. A 10 A1C is equivalent of like 240 average blood sugar. Or, oh yeah. Or 13. And it was swinging. I was swinging wildly. So you think you were even higher? You were in the three and four hundreds at times? Oh, probably, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that. But you probably 
didn't get low very frequently. Like Dizzy? I guess Dizzy was no, your measurement, right? No, I didn't get low very frequently. Um, although I may have, but I developed pretty severe hypoglycemia unawareness. Okay. Um, that was in, I found out about that later on when I was in college, but yeah, it was, uh, it just kind of slowly devolved. Like there was no real, there was no control at that point. It was just, like you said, management, maybe management of symptoms, but not really control. Hey, that unawareness thing. We never really dig into that for some reason. And maybe, you know, uh, because it happened to you. Does that mean your blood sugar's super low and everything else about you is fine or your blood sugar's super low and you're just not having symptoms but to an outsider you look altered? Um for me it was a combination of not having the capacity to notice the symptoms. So like someone from the outside might notice but because my brain has already been shut off by the low blood sugar, I couldn't notice. Okay. So you were functioning, but not functioning well, but unaware of it. Yeah. And I think that there was a combination of that with also just a minimization of symptoms. Like my body didn't respond as dramatically mm-hmm. because there was some time, there was actually one time uh, when I was in college, I was on a bus coming back from work and I thought it was high. I was like, man, my stomach's really upset. Like I bet you any money that I'm, I'm high, I should probably take a, a correction. This is at the point that I'm starting to gain control over my sugars again. Yeah. I'm like, I should probably take a correction. And I was seconds away from just taking a couple units, like not even checking my sugar. And I was like, you know what? No, I'll test because I feel really bad. And if it's too high, then I'll know I need to take more. I tested and I was 1.6, which is... Uh, 29. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And I was ready to take more insulin because I thought I was, I was high. Yeah. There was no way that I was low. So at that, that was actually the, the incident that made me decide to get a Dexcom. But <laughs> How long ago was that? Uh, that happened maybe seven years ago. Wow. Yeah. So 13 years into diabetes. And you were still like, I have, see this, I hope Arden hears this one one day. I hope Arden hears them all one day. I don't know if you all realize this or not, but this podcast is just a time capsule for my kid. I'm glad you guys. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And uh, I hope she hears this one one day because when she was little, she'd be like, I don't need to test. I feel fine. And I would always, I always say the same thing. I'm like, listen, if how you felt was important, there wouldn't be any meters or glucose monitors or anything. You just do stuff when you felt a certain way. I was like, that's not how this goes. But that's fascinating. Like you just had a symptom. You assumed it was a high symptom. Well, I'm glad you tested. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, growing <laughs> luckily, up. Luckily, the uh, bus had just stopped at a stop outside of McDonald's. So I ran in and scarfed right. down as much food as I could. <laughs> and made your blood sugar 500. Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I, I think back to driving with my friend, Mike, um, when we were younger and it was always known that whoever was in the front seat while Mike was driving, you had to sort of be driving as well. Like you would just pay oh, attention. paying attention to Mike's yeah. kind of symptoms. Well, we always just, you know, it's funny. We knew so little about it and he wasn't, I don't think he knew very much about it. Uh, but it was just the idea that sometimes like, you know, you'd make a right turn and you wouldn't get all the way into the lane. You just would reach over sometimes and just nudge the wheel a little bit. <laughs> you'd be like, Ooh. oh, wow. You know? <laughs> and, um, 
but it wasn't constantly. Sometimes he was fine. And sometimes he had, you know, uh, but he would get surly. And I, I look back now and I realize that his blood sugar was high and that people just thought he was um, like jerk. Had, had an uneven personality, but he didn't. He's such a lovely person. And, um, but that's really, that's really something else. At, at the time you got the Humalog, did meters get more portable at that point too? The meters were decently portable. Um, they all came in little like nylon cases or whatever. So I could fit one of those, like I could fit my meter in my back pocket and I could fit my syringe and my bottle of Humalog in my front pocket. Okay. And that was just kind of how things went. Yeah. Yeah. Mike had this little like pouch and everything was just in it. He didn't carry a meter though. Um, Interesting. Well, okay. So seven years ago, you almost bolus when you're incredibly low, you realize I got to pay better attention to this. And you find seven years ago is, is pretty close to the beginning of Dexcom. So it's not like they existed for long and you were ignoring them, right? No. So that was, uh, oh, maybe it wasn't seven years ago. Maybe it was more recently than that. It was when I was in college, which would have been 20... 12, 2013. Yeah. So like seven, eight years ago. Yeah, so yeah, I guess there's that. It's about the um, but yeah, th- at that point I was actually starting, I had already started to kind of be like, okay, this, this isn't good. Like I need to, I need to sort myself out. Mm-hmm. I, I think after high school, I pretty much stopped going to endocrinologists and stopped getting my A1C checked and stopped testing and stopped doing everything. Still took my insulin, but that was about it. Um, stopped doing any of that until I got to college and specifically until I moved in with my now husband who was like, wait, don't you have to go to a doctor about this? And I'm like, yeah, but I don't have one here and I don't know where one is. And then he just kind of one day was out driving and texted me and he's like, there's literally an endocrinologist office three blocks from our place. Like call them. Oh, that's loving. Good for him. He's like, I like this girl. (laughs) I don't need to, have yeah. to start over again with another one. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's keep you good. And so, this is your first. How long ago is this now? When you this when you st- this is this seven years range? Yeah, it's about eight. A little okay. bit before this incident happened, it was about eight years. So, I went into this new endocrinologist office. Turned out it was a great clinic. There's uh, LMC. Actually, I think you had someone earlier who was from Ontario who mm-hmm. went to LMC. They're fantastic. Um, and I uh, what's the got first, in with them. Yeah, Whoops, what's sorry. the first step of like making the shift? Like you come in from this experience that we've been talking about for, you know, 45 minutes now. And, and now suddenly you're going to, you know, quote unquote, take better care of yourself. How does that start? It starts with a very good CDE because I originally was like, just give me my A1Cs. I'll handle it. Like I was convinced that no one had any answers for me. So there was no point in really having the discussions. Yeah. And when I started talking to her, I realized, oh, you know some stuff. This is good. Tell me everything you know. So it's a re-education really. Yeah. And it a- was finally, finally finding like the information that I had been just convinced didn't exist. And willing, I was going to say, to hear it, not just say, oh, no one knows. Um, because I I see people get lulled into that after long periods of diabetes, especially people who diagnosed right around your time, right, in, in the past. You just had this experience for so long. Not only do you believe no one knows, this is what you think it is. 
And even when someone comes along and says, hey, you know what, not for nothing, but if you just turn this dial and do this here, and why don't you try pre-bolusing, this, this would be a 6A1C. You, you, it's hard to believe, right? Oh, yeah. And as soon as I started talking with her, I was just like, you know this. You know what's going on. She didn't have diabetes, but she she understood enough of it that she could talk about it intelligently. It wasn't a, well, just do this. Everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. It was no, like this is this is hard. This is constant. You have to be paying attention. And I understand how much brain power that takes and how much energy that takes. So let's try and make this as easy as possible and as low in energy as possible so that you're actually able to to follow through. Do you remember how that was accomplished? Like how did they how did she make it easy? Um, first step was she gave me a physician's Dexcom. So one of the ones that I could see the results, but I had to give it back at the end of the the 10 days or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. So she gave me pens. She's like, you're going to stop using syringes. You look at the drug dealer. Here's some pens so that you actually, you know, don't look scary to people when you have to take an injection. (laughs) Let's get you a good tester. Let's get you, um, let's get this Dexcom on you so that we can check your levels and make sure your, your stuff's correct. Let's, you know, get your carb ratios dialed in. It was a, a kind of a slow process. Um, they pretty much took what I had been doing previously, which was the same regimen I'd been using since I was a teenager at that point, mm-hmm. and just started from there and then just dialed it in. Yeah. How far away from where you ended was what you were doing? Like, were your basils that much different? Were your ideas? Oh, my basils didn't change a lot. They adjusted slightly. I was taking way too much mealtime insulin, though. Like, twice as much mealtime insulin as I needed. So were you just getting low a lot? I was driving myself into the ground, and because I couldn't feel it, I didn't know. Oh. How freaky was it to see the Dexcom data the first time? It was strange. It was so strange. I was... For one, I didn't realize I spiked that high after eating because mm-hmm. uh, it had always come down by the next time I tested. And then I didn't realize that I was going low that frequently. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear you say that because that's right about the time I figured all of that out for Arden and saw those first CGM graphs. And I was like, wait a minute. You know, the way I tell the story is that I used to put Arden to bed at 180 and she'd wake up at 90 and I thought I was a genius but she would go from 180 to like 50 and then she'd yeah. sit at 50 for hours and then I guess her liver would probably kick in and then drift her back up while she was sleeping to 90 and I would I would just test her before she went to bed 180 that's her setting for going to bed you know you make her high so she can get through the night and then you know, look she's 90 in the morning it's perfect she had to be 180 because she finished perfectly at 90. I never realized how low she got or everything else that was going on. And once you see it represented visually, you're like, oh, my God, this is all wrong. I'm doing everything wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh So we got all that sorted out. And then the next step was getting me on a pump. Um, Luckily in Canada, well, at least in Ontario, I'm not sure if this is Canada wide or not. We have a, it's called the assistive devices program, which pays for the pump upfront costs 100% mm-hmm. and also gives you a grant every quarter to help cover the cost of the supplies. Yeah. So they got me hooked up with that. They got me at the time it was the Animus Ping, um, got me on the pump, 
we talked about getting me on Dexcom, but at that point, nothing covered Dexcom. Like it wasn't, the insurance companies didn't cover it. There was no government program to help with it. And I just couldn't afford it as a college kid. So they at least got me the pump. And with that came the ability to make those micro adjustments where I was like, okay, I can make these adjustments, but I need the data to make the adjustments. Therefore, I'm going to test 15 times a day now. Mm. And that's what I did. I just upped my testing to, you know, as soon as I got up, you know, when I ate, after I ate, literally every second, I was trying to test my blood sugars to see where I was at because I actually had the control with the pump that I could make the adjustments if I had the data. Right. So it went from, I don't want to test my sugar, so I don't want to pump, to, oh, this is what the pump can do? Okay, I'll test my sugar. So do you listen to the podcast? I do, yeah. Okay. So when I'm doing the ads for Omnipod and Dexcom specifically, do you just sit there and think, yeah, 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 that's right, that's right? Um, So the only thing that you have an ad for that I don't already have is the Omnipod, because I'm now on the tandem. Right. And the Gvo because I don't think it's available in Canada. <laughs> well, thank you, and I hope the advertisers are listening. But that's not what I'm like. I just meant pumping in general. I'm, you know what? We're done now. I didn't realize you didn't have an arm. No, no, I, um, <laughs> I, no, I, I just meant like when I'm talking about the benefits of pumping and and I'm talking about the benefits of seeing your data, like that. Oh, a hundred percent. That stuff saved your life. It changed. Yeah, it, yeah. It functionally changed how you live. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What's your A one C now? Can I ask? Last test was 6.0. Ooh, look at you. Very well done. That's excellent. I bet that's different than 13, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is that is quite the different level. And I didn't realize how much better I feel with mm. the lower A1Cs. Yeah. So when I got to LMC, they tested my A1C and it was nine. Just from like the education that they gave me, we got it down to eight. With the pump, we got it down to mid-sevens. With the CGM, which I got four years ago, I got the, the Dexcom G6, when as soon as it came to Canada, that's what I got. Right. Uh, I got that down to mid-sixes, and then your podcast got me down to six. Nice. Wow. That is excellent. You, I am excited for you. You must be thrilled. Um I love that you talked about feeling differently. Arden went swimming with friends the other night. So she was away from the CGM for a while. She got a little low. Um, she was like 63-ish when they got out of the pool. And um, I texted her and I was like, hey, you know, your blood sugar's lower. She said, it doesn't matter. We're coming home. I was making pizzas. I can make pizzas from scratch. It's not a big deal. And so <laughs> I was making pizza for her and her friends. They were going to come back from this friend's house, et cetera. And so Arden's like, doesn't matter. We're on our way home. Perfect. Like in her mind, she's like 63 pizza pre bolus. This is perfect. And, you know, like, so she rolls into the house, but I didn't realize they were further away than I thought they were. So by the time she got home, she was like 55. And so again, whatever, she starts eating the food and we just get the bolus in wrong. Like, I don't know another way to put it. There was a lot going on and we just kind of botched the bolus and her blood sugar ended up in like the 200 range. Um, and it took us a couple hours to fix it. And 
by the time she went to bed, dad, my legs hurt. My legs hurt so bad. Will you come rub my legs, rub my knees, rub my ankles? And she's like, I don't understand why my legs hurt so much. I was like, it's from the higher blood sugar. I know it's it's because you went to 200. It's 200. I know it's just 200 and it doesn't seem like a big deal. But your body is so accustomed to being in a real, like I can pull Arden's blood sugar up right now. It's like I'm doing an ad. Hold on a second. Um, Arden's blood sugar is 78. And if I go back 12 hours, the highest it's been, let me take a look here. The highest Arden's blood sugar has been in the last 12 hours is 135. And it was basically between 120. Yeah, we had kind of a time where overnight where it took us a while to get from 120 back down to under 100 again, maybe three or four hours. And I don't I honestly don't know what that was because she and I were watching a movie last night together and she was like 77. And I was like, this is perfect for going to bed, which is so weird compared to, you know, before. And I was like, if we just make her 180, then she'll um, But then <laughs> as the movie ended, she started to drift up a little bit. But at 107, I thought I had it. And then I didn't. Yeah. But, but since, my gosh, since it's, it's almost 11 now. Since 5 a.m., Arden's blood sugar has been between 170 eight yeah so that's what she's accustomed to oh yeah and as soon as you go outside of that like you feel it and that's the one thing that i've noticed is that now that i'm used to blood sugars that are stable and a lot lower than they used to be when i do spike up to uh, 15 which is 270 for you guys yeah like i feel terrible right like really and, like difficult to function terrible. Yeah. And just I'm nauseous and I don't feel good and I can't think properly. Mm-hmm. And it's just I get angry. That is one thing that has not gone away. My high blood sugars put me into a blind rage sometimes. <laughs> and it's just I'm not I am not in a good place. Well, well, I if you ever listen to Jenny on like the pro tip series and stuff like that, you, you can tell by listening to her. She's a, a careful like eater a healthy eater and i think part of that is because she does not like how she feels when her blood sugar gets higher yeah you know it's just it it just is what it is you know it's i mean you have diabetes you're gonna have to make some you have to pay attention to some things or you're gonna have this other stuff and i just don't want people to get in a situation where my legs hurt is a normal part of my life you know yeah and i mean eventually your legs stop hurting which is crazy. Yeah. Well, then you're kind of really in trouble because yeah. then your body's making allowances that are internal that are going to lead to other issues. Do you think about that ever? Like, um, like your father, you said is still alive. How's his health? Uh, it's okay. He is just starting to see a little bit of retinopathy. He's had to get a, a laser on his eyes to just kind of stop up some bleeds. Yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, he's got, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and a host of other issues outside of diabetes. Um, But he is a full-time, like he goes out, he has a farm that he works on all day. Like he's, he's physically capable. He's very busy and he doesn't feel badly. Yeah. Um, Well, farming, farming snowballs has got to be a lot of work. (laughs) Right. It's actually beef cattle. We got a lot of cows up in our prairie area. Stop it. It's icicles. (laughs) (laughs) he's a cattle farmer yeah in northern ontario wow that's kind of cool that sounds like like something i would want on my linkedin profile but i guess a cattle farmer wouldn't have a linkedin profile so whatever actually i think they do i mean farming's big business no no i know 
I just didn't think they would be bothered with it. It just seems like that would be bullshit to me. Or cow, <laughs> or cow shit, I guess. <laughs> I wanted to make that bad joke so badly. I said, You worked up. so hard to get that in there. I I'm proud of you. I set myself up to have to edit it out later. And I was like, I don't care. I'll give away the editing time for this. Uh, well, uh, so that's good. But and And how about your health? Oh, it's it's much better since I've managed to get everything under control. Cool. Um, I mean, COVID kind of messed up my whole gym routine, but beyond that, like, yeah, my I just went for a an eye doctor visit, and he looked at my eyes. He's like, "Wait a second, I saw in your chart that you're diabetic." It's like, "Yeah." It's like that. Oh, okay. I would not have known that otherwise. Which is what you want to hear, right? Hundred <laughs> percent. The only thing I would want to hear more is, yeah, I found a podcast after that because I just I'm looking for a spread of word. But that's not. I think that's amazing. I think that's ex- super exciting for you because there's no doubt that on the path you were on, you wouldn't be hearing that much longer. I don't think. No, I still don't know how I, frankly, survived from the age of about eighteen to twenty three. Mm. I I got someone looking out for me up there because there was no other way that I didn't put myself into a coffin. Wow. Yeah. I I, I do. It's such an underserved time for type ones is that college age. And really, you call it college age if you want. But, you know, that last part while your brain's forming still, you you know, like right in there. um, It's it's you're outside of your parents um, purview. You're. 100% 100% sure that you know everything about the whole world, not just diabetes. You know, like I, I love, I love, uh, during political cycles, listening to like 20 year old people. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is the first time they, they think they're the first people who, uh, who ever noticed that the world might not be exactly right. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh well, yeah. none of us knew we're big dummies. You figured it out. Great job. <laughs> yeah. Like in that moment, you know, and you just think, I guess you do really feel either, like you need to put this thing aside and not deal with it because it's too much and you don't know what you're doing or you feel a little invincible or a mixture of those things, I guess. But yeah, that's a scary time um, from my perspective, at least. Oh yeah. And I mean, at that point, I mean, I thought I was bulletproof, right? Like I went on a six month volunteer program to BC and then Ukraine. Wow. While having absolutely no control over my blood sugars. Are you saving the beaver population? Uh, in BC, it wasn't beavers. What were we working on? We did do a lot of environmental work when I was in BC. And then in Ukraine, I was um, doing work for a, a university over there. Again, kind of environmentally focused, but a little bit less because they still don't have like regular recycling programs and things like that. So, Wow. Well, you're like a decent person on top of all this. <laughs> Would you think... Thank you, I think. No, I mean, like, I didn't, like, you know, like, that's a, a kind thing to give your time to. Where'd you meet the husband guy? Where'd you find him? Uh, through friends at college uh, in Toronto. Hmm. Is a setup? Like a, a blind date? Uh, not so much. It was more, um, one of my friends was seeing one of his friends. And so we went over to their apartment and those two kind of wandered off and Morgan and I were just kind of left there being like, hi. <laughs> this is awkward. I'm not showing you my vagina like she's going to do. Just so you know. The- yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Actually, yeah, yeah. that's 100% what happened. <laughs> so, she, so she brought you, you were you were the wing woman. You were brought along for cover 
so that she could safely go off and do whatever it was she was thinking of doing. Yeah, pretty much. And then you got bored and let that boy see boobs. Is that about what happened? <laughs> Not that day. Not no. that day. <laughs> <laughs> Try to imagine how funny this is going to sound bleeped out. That's what I do when I'm talking. Because <laughs> then people will fill in. Like right now, all of you listening, whatever you filled in, that's how you feel. Just so you know. Because you don't know what I said. I might have said like keychain. You have no idea. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, how long have you guys been together? Uh, we've been together for nine or ten years, and we just got married almost two years ago. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, right before COVID, you got married? Literally, September of 2019, right before COVID. You snuck it in. You were probably a super spreader. You didn't even know it. <laughs> we have a lot of friends who or kind of family friends who now they were trying to get married in 2020 yeah. and all our parents are just like thank god you guys got married in 2019 my son was supposed to go to a wedding in the middle of covid which of course got pushed and he's like oh i got another uh invitation for when i said they're gonna break up before they get married i just so much time you know <laughs> good oh fast. i know i feel so bad for these people it really is crazy. Uh, are you guys thinking of making any little Canadians or what are you doing? Well, that was part of the reason why I found your podcast. I was looking for podcasts on diabetes management to get ready for pregnancy. Oh. Um, so, yeah, we are in the process. <laughs> the pro- You're having a lot of I, I don't know how else to put that. <laughs> <laughs> We're banging constantly, Scott. Nothing's happening. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I frankly am tired of it. (laughs) Oh my God, is he going to do that again? Again? Buddy, read a book. What are you doing? I can't, we can't do it the same way every time. (laughs) Oh God. Uh, God, That's interesting. Uh, Did you hear the episode that Jenny and I did for the pro tips? The pregnancy one? Yes. It's good, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. All the pro tips have been really good. Well, I wasn't looking for that, but I appreciate you saying that. How about listening to Sam at her trimesters? Was that helpful? She was actually the first episode that I found. Oh, cool. Um, was, I think her second trimester was mm-hmm. the, the first episode that I ran across. And then from there, started listening to the rest of them. And let me correct myself, Samantha. It's uh, I would call her Sam and she'd be like, Samantha. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know why I can't. I would write it down in front of myself. I really am like, I'm probably like four IQ points away from falling over. You, you know what I mean? And I just, I could write it in front of myself. I'd look at, even when you and I were messing with uh, technical problems at the beginning, like your, your Zoom comes up, I'm assuming your name and your husband's name together. Yeah, it and, is. Yeah. I know you're Lacey and I'm still saying your husband's name while I'm, while I'm like fighting with the thing. And I'm like, once I got it done, I was like, am I going to bring that up? And nah, I'll just let it go. I'm like, such a, I can't, <laughs> for all the things I understand, it's fascinating how dumb I am about other stuff. Uh, but anyway, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you were hoping to get to? I don't really think so. No, I think we covered everything. Cool. I enjoyed this. I love you. Canadians. This is fun. Yeah, I know you're just right. I know you're just human like me. You just live slightly north of me, and there's really nothing different except you said a boot and a couple of other things. But um, I just I don't know. I, I always enjoy uh, my Canadian conversations. I always feel bad that it takes longer for you guys to get your technology when it comes out. Um, yeah, that's that's mostly just to do with our more rigorous um, testing processes. I mean, your FDA tends to let things through pretty easy. Ours is a bit more complicated, so we always get delayed. It's funny. It's funny that you that you see it that way because I think Americans would see the FDA as a long process too. It's 
interesting. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah, and yeah. doing the FDA processes probably makes everything else quicker. But I mean, there's a lot of stuff you guys have that they've just said no up here to. So yeah. Well, if you just get an uglier prime minister, things might go better. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> just the next time, just pick the oldest beat up person on the list. Just be like, that guy doesn't look like he never looks in a mirror. This woman hasn't seen a mirror in 20 years. I'm voting for her. Do you get the Actually, vote? Actually, I'm... I'm- yeah, we we vote. Of course, we vote. I don't know. Of course, you vote. It's Canada. You live on Mars in my world. I don't understand where you are. <laughs> I don't know. You could be living under martial law. I have no idea. I don't know. If the, I, in my mind, there are penguins telling you what to do. So I don't. And I, Wrong end of the planet, buddy. Penguins are in the Antarctic. Well, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. Is I understand penguins don't live in Canada, and yet when I think of when I think of Canada, I think of penguins, um, Dudley Do Right, beavers. Bears, moose. Part of me believes you ride a moose. Like there's just I'm. Um, oh no, I stay very far away from moose. Those things scare the crap out of me. Yeah, no kidding. And then when you said you went to the Ukraine, do you have any idea how hard it was for me not to do a moose and squirrel impression in that moment? <laughs> but I held it in. <laughs> so, that's all. I wonder how many people are like moose and squirrel. What is this guy talking? I'm old. I know about cartoons. Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah, from before people were born. I know stuff. <laughs> I know useless stuff. Uh, and nothing about Canada. I'll go there one day. I know this is going to happen. I know one day someone's going to be like, come to Canada, talk about, ins- I'm going to show up, I'll land on an airplane, I'll get out of the plane, and I'll be like, oh, this looks like everywhere else I've ever been. Yeah, you live in New Jersey. That's just like <laughs> a hop, skip, and a jump away from us. Like, it's very, very similar. I just know I'll like walk, I'll be so disappointed one day. I'll walk outside and like I won't be attacked by a bear, and I'll be like, God damn it, this is the same as everywhere else. I just know that's what's going to happen. Anyway, that's why I'm not going. I don't want the illusion ruined. Oh, we're we're like a magical fantasy land to you. You can't yeah. you can't really see the reality. Your that's po- fair. Your policemen are riding on horses in my mind in big red coats. I think it's lovely. I mean, they usually only do that to clear the drunks off King Street in Toronto. <laughs> so those people do exist though. They do. Yeah, they use the horses to they go like breast to breast across the street and just drive all the drunk people home. <laughs> well, there's that many drunk people on King Street in Toronto. Oh yes, the King Street's like the the entertainment district. There's a lot of bars on King Street. All right, all right, I got you. All right. Well, listen. I I wish you luck with the making the baby thing. I mean, Thank obviously you. you're fed up with this sex. You're trying to. <laughs> you're like it's enough already. Let's be done. Are you, are you, you just gotta you just gotta try different things. It keeps it fun. Yeah. No, I know. You know what'll take the fun away? A baby. Having a baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's there's no there's nothing that so conflicts with itself as the process of although your your husband will look back on this time later and feel lucky about this that it took like I remember when we had Arden first time she got pregnant the first time and I felt ripped off in a way that is difficult to put into words. <laughs> it's just like how could it have happened the first time? <laughs> the process just completely cut short. And we didn't even do <laughs> this it. This was supposed to be fun. <laughs> I think I wrote I might have put this in my book, but we we did it like rushing out the door to go trick or treating with my son. Like we she was like this is when we should start trying and I was like okay. She's like well He's putting on his costume upstairs with your mom. This is so dirty. She so we ran to the Arden was conceived in a basement. I just want to say that right now. And um that's right Arden, in case you didn't know and you're like 30 <laughs> years old listening to this now. Um but it, it you know it wasn't a I wouldn't call it um you know a a loving moment. It was more of like I think we can get this in. You were on a time schedule. Yeah. yeah there by was the way, there was 
there was no pun intended there, but I think we can get this in before we leave for the for the trickers and the treatings. And uh, then we did, and then she was pregnant in like no time, and I was like, oh come on, that was yeah. <laughs> anyway. I don't know. All right, well I'm gonna let you go. You're probably sore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got to go do some stretches now. See, Canadian women have a great sense of humor. This I've learned from the <laughs> podcast, but I'm not kidding, by the way. I've totally learned this from the podcast. Um, not that other women don't, but you guys are. Uh, well, we're the butt of everyone's jokes. You kind of have to get a good sense of humor eventually. Wait, who? Canadians? Have you never watched a comedy special from any American comedian? Like, Canadians are always the butt of the joke. Yeah, well, I mean, really. All we really know about you is that movie Strange Brew. There's nothing else. Like, yeah, that's probably part of the problem. Dave Coulier, I mean, you sent us that Dave Coulier guy. You should have sent somebody better. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I did I like, mean, we did send you Brendan Fraser at one point, which yeah. was, he was pretty awesome. Yeah, for five seconds. And Alan Thicke was fine, but then he made that boy. And now I'm stuck with him. Robin thing. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We, we try to forget about that one. I am. I will say this before I go. I am endlessly fascinated that hockey is not more popular in America than it is. It's such a good sport. It's, it's such- great. But the problem is, is it's so bloody expensive to try and put your kids in it. Oh, playing. It's tough. Baseball. Yeah. Baseball similar here. You have to, because it's not just something you can, you can't just pick up a ball, a ball and do it. You have to have accoutrements and a field and et cetera. And it makes it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I played baseball, softball, because apparently girls can't play baseball in Canada, but it wasn't that expensive. Like all I had to bring was my glove and my cleats. Mm -hmm. The coaches were the ones who had to bring bags and bags of bats and everything else but hockey's the skates and the pads and the you have to have a rink and And god forbid someone has a kid who wants to play goalie yeah all that stuff too yeah all right well i guess you're i'm just telling you it's as a spectator sport goes hockey's amazing oh hockey's it's great but i don't know you guys are having trouble marketing it (laughs) you should put that handsome guy on that and see what he can figure out also i think you guys have a harder time sitting in a cold arena um Cole was working out for a college one day, baseball, and the bathrooms were in the hockey rink next door. And just walking in the outskirts of it to the restroom, you you needed a jacket. It was the middle of summer. So cold in there. I mean, it makes sense. I'm not an idiot. Like, I know they're trying to keep ice frozen. But uh, I can't imagine being a parent having to sit there, like, no matter what time of year it is, like, bundled up to watch a hockey game, I guess. Yeah, so we're we're used to it. I mean, when it gets to be winter here, it doesn't matter where in the country you are, you're cold. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, it's fine. But yeah. I imagine people living in, you know, South Carolina might not be so in, interested in sitting in a freezing cold arena. You're making a point. Well, yes, snowball farmers are not bothered by the cold. That's for certain. No, they yeah. definitely aren't. That's all. All right. Well, this was lovely. You're delightful. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. It was great talking to you. Yeah, I I, I agree. It was great talk. No, I was going to say, <laughs> I, it was great talking to you too. I'd like to thank Lacey for coming on the show today and sharing her story with us. And I also want to thank Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor and Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod Promise for being sponsors of the Juicebox podcast. Don't forget to check them out at Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox and Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting the show. If you're a U.S. resident or the caretaker of a U.S. resident and you have type 1 diabetes, 
t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Take the survey, less than 10 minutes, support people living with type 1, and again, support the Juicebox podcast. I want to thank you for listening today and remind you to subscribe and follow in an audio app. While I have your attention, let me let you know about the Facebook page for the podcast. Completely free, but private. Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. 20,000 members and growing. People just like you looking for support, community, and maybe sometimes a virtual hug or a little bit of advice from another Type 1. Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook. If you're enjoying the show, please go into that audio app that you're listening in and leave a fantastic five-star review. It helps other people to find the show and to get started. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.